Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. So I'm going to start teaching today a new series. I almost folded it into the series that we were doing before. Do you remember we were doing something that we called the Christian DNA or something like that? Remember that? And we were talking about the stuff that's almost like spiritually, genetically part of being a Christian. What's it like to be a follower of Jesus? And what we're talking about in this series is, is in that um, vein, but it's really has a little bit more with equipping people to do the works of Jesus, the works of ministry, the works of the kingdom of God. Um, some of the material I'm going to bring you is kind of like what I would do if I were going to do a workshop for people that are learning how to do evangelism or learning how to do praying for people, how to pray effectively for the sick, etc., those sorts of things. We, as a leadership team, said, should we, should we do it a little different? We, it's, we're time to do another kind of building a team for ministry coming out of the strange years of not even being together. Um, and we said, why not just do the whole church? Because we think this is in the DNA of every Christian to do the works of Jesus. Are you aware of that? So this is, you're in the army now, if you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, the phrase, equipping the saints, comes out of a, a verse in the Bible that describes what the job description is for people that are called to be leaders in Jesus' church. So in Paul's letter to the Christians at Ephesus, he said that God had set apart some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for this purpose, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, if you are fairly new to being a Christian, you might not know that you are a saint. You're either a saint or you're an ain't. So if you, <laughs> that was kind of dumb, huh? <laughs> It just came to me, and I said it before I filtered it. Um, if, <laughs> if you are a follower of Jesus, the Bible calls you a saint. And the reason that I have a role as a pastor is to equip you, the saints, to do the works of ministry. What works of ministry? Well, what does that mean, works of ministry? Turns out there's some information in the Bible to teach us what the works of ministry are like. And I have, oh, I'm like overflowing with stuff I want to share with you. So I, I could spend hours with you, and I'm really hard-pressed to try to, can I get it down to a half an hour's worth in chunks? And that's what I'm going to try to do today. But know that I will spend the next few weeks, actually not next week because we have CJ, but after that I'll continue in giving you some pieces of equipping kind of training so that you can do works of ministry. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, another word that might describe you is you are a disciple of Jesus. Another word, if you were using kind of our modern kind of thinking, would be you're an apprentice of Jesus. In other words, those who follow Jesus want to know what it means to be and do what Jesus was and did. And I don't know any better place to do that than to read the stories of Jesus and the first followers of him and go, oh, that's what it looks like. 
So listen, we're going to read a big chunk of scripture out of a discipleship manual called the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible, in the New Testament, the first book you run into is called Matthew, because it's written by a guy named Matthew, and he wrote it as a um, discipleship manual for people that were becoming followers of Jesus. So they know the story of who Jesus is, and what he did, and what his first followers did, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to read a big chunk to kind of get a feel for what those first followers of Jesus experienced. And let me say this. When you read the Gospels, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you read the book of Acts, it's super important that you get this. you got to read it as though the people that are experiencing the stories are just exactly like you. So when you read about the disciples that followed Jesus, know that if you had been there, you would have had the same experience they were having. They were no smarter, no better than any of you. So put yourself in the story and imagine what that must have felt like as you read the New Testament, okay? Um, Matthew lays out this discipleship manual in a very specific way. He sets you up. <laughs> and one of the things that's helpful to know is that Jesus' method of teaching could be called show and tell. Did you guys ever do show and tell in kindergarten? Remember show and tell? Are you there? Okay. <laughs> Did we not, ha we don't have coffee, that's the problem. We need to start serving coffee. Oh, yeah, for the coffee, amen. <laughs> um, so whoever said amen the loudest, you are now in charge of the coffee <laughs> ministry. If you'll see me later, we'll get you set up. That's how it works around here. <laughs> no, <laughs> Starbucks is not coming to deliver. So <laughs> Jesus does show and tell. And we're going to see him do that in the big section of scripture we're going to read from Matthew's story. And I'll just, I'll just give it away, and then we'll read it. He has this tendency to invite people to be with him, which sounds so cool, right? Hang out with Jesus? Yeah, I'm in. And, and they do, and he does all this cool stuff. And they're like, so fun, and they're just watching. And he always does this trick on them. After he's been, they've been watching him do stuff, they don't know that he's been setting them up. Because at one point in the story... He goes, come here. Now you do it. He shows them, and then he tells them, this is what I've been doing, now you go do it. And they're like, whoa, I was happy watching you do it. I don't want to do it. But guess what? If you're not an ain't, but you're a saint, he calls you to do it. Back to the first scripture. Jesus has set in the body of Christ apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, prophets. I didn't do it in the right order, I know, but those are all listed. For the purpose of equipping the saints to do works of ministry. What are the works of ministry? Well, here's a story in Matthew. If you're a Bible reader at all, or you're familiar with anything at all about Christianity, you've probably heard the phrase, the Sermon on the Mount. Has anyone heard of the phrase, the Sermon on the Mount? Okay, so in Matthew's discipleship manual, the, he starts to tell you that Jesus, around Matthew, 
chapter 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is on a mountainside. It's really a big hill. There's a bunch of people gathered. They're on the grass. Can you picture that? Jesus is on a hill, grass. And he begins to teach them. And he teaches them, you've heard of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted, on and on. He teaches about divorce. He teaches about not judging people. He teaches about heart issues. That it's more important what's going on in the heart than what's happening in your life. So Matthew shows us this teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, most famous sermon in the history of the world. People use it all the time, all over the world. And then Jesus has these disciples that are following him, and Matthew goes bang, 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 with a narrative story that we're going to read of ten instances where Jesus does some kind of miraculous thing, mostly healing people with diseases or sickness, sometimes getting rid of demonic strongholds, demonic forces in their lives, sometimes healing them by getting rid of demons, sometimes they're interacted, one time having power and authority over nature, and over and over you see this, this sense of authority and power that Jesus has where he does something with just a word of authority. Now, listen, you're still with me, right? I'm kind of all setting up what we're going to read. This is important to understand. If you've grown up in typical Western Christianity, you may have thought that the goal of being a Christian is cosmetic. Get to heaven someday, and while we're waiting for that to happen, try to clean your life up a bit. And it's all about sin management. And that's not the picture of Christianity you see in the Bible. Now, I'll develop this thought I'm going to share right now in future um, times, but you need to understand this as we read this story as a backdrop. When Jesus came and began his ministry and declared, the kingdom of God is now here, turn your mind around, repent and believe the good news, he immediately went into war against Satan's kingdom. Satan is the usurper who's come into this planet and has oppressed people. And Jesus comes in warfare, taking territory from Satan, plundering his kingdom, and the prize, the biggest prize, is the lives of people who've been oppressed by Satan. So when you see Jesus at work doing things like healing the sick, no, he is attacking the strongholds of the kingdom of Satan. And when you are in your life and you realize, I'm a saint called to do the works of ministry, I want you to know you are in the business of warfare. There's a war going on. There's an evil usurper who's trying to destroy lives, and he's done a pretty good job of it. And Jesus empowers people like you and me to come not only with word but with deed to set people free. And you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're not on your own, but the Holy Spirit is in you to give you power to do things you could never do on your own. And lives are changed and lives are set free. So when you, read, when you hear these stories, think, this is Jesus at war attacking the kingdom of Satan. And one of the understandings that can develop as you read the narratives of the Gospels and, and um, Acts especially is you see Jesus seems to see sickness and disease very often as one of Satan's weapons to oppress people. So he goes and gets rid of sickness and disease. That's one of his biggest works. Let's just read this story. Um, and You ready? I'm going to read to you like two chapters of the Bible. Can you hang on? But I'm going to do it fast. And it's all narrative. So Jesus comes down from the, from the mountain, 
and the crowds are following him. This is verse um, 1 of Matthew 8. So 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount. Now we have, bam, 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 10 stories of miracles and Jesus with authority and power. When he came down from the mountainside after the Sermon on the Mount, large crowds followed him. First thing happens, a man with leprosy, a terrible skin disease, comes and kneels before him and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man, which you're not supposed to do, but he does it. And he says, I am willing, be clean. Immediately, he was cured of leprosy. That was the extent of Jesus' prayer, by the way. It was a two-word prayer. It went like this, be clean. I think that's awesome. Next thing that happens. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion, that's, so that's a Roman official. He's not Jewish. He's a Roman official, a leader of somewhere like 100 in his troops in the army, came to him and said, asking for help, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed in terrible suffering. Jesus said, okay, I'll go with you and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I don't even deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. Are you hearing the authority there? Just say the word, my servant will be healed. Because I understand authority. I myself am a man under authority. I've got soldiers under me. I'm a centurion. I say, go to this one, and he goes. He does what I say. This one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, he does it. In other words, Jesus, this sickness is under your authority. All you're going to do is say, be gone. And it'll be done. Jesus, when he heard this, was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have never seen faith like this in all of Israel. And then Jesus turned to the centurion. Are you in the story, by the way? Are you a disciple standing there watching Jesus do this? Are you in the story with me? So <laughs> there's like at least 12, but there's actually a bunch of them. They're following Jesus around. They're watching the centurion talk with Jesus. They're wondering what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus just says, go. It will be done like you believed <laughs> and guess what happened that servant was healed of his paralysis ow isn't that amazing but so jesus now goes into peter's house and peter's mother-in-law is in the room sick and if you've seen the chosen movies you've seen this this scene and it's kind of fun the way it goes so she's got a fever and um and jesus goes in and in, in Luke's gospel, he actually rebukes the fever as if it's a personal evil, making you think maybe in this case the fever was caused by some spiritual oppression because you don't rebuke inanimate objects. Rebuking is something you do to naughty children <laughs> and to naughty demons. And he rebukes the fever, and it leaves her. In, in Matthew's version of the story, Jesus touches her, the fever leaves her, she gets up and she begins serving them like a good Jewish mother. She immediately goes and starts serving everyone in the household. You look hungry, you should eat. So she's serving food, serving everyone in the household. And then when evening comes, many who were demonized, they were afflicted by dark spiritual personalities, evil spirits, demons of hell. They were brought to him and he drove all the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. You hear how Matthew's doing this? Matthew is giving a discipleship manual with a certain format on purpose. He's telling us story, 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 so you can with it and watch this event and watch how it transfers into the life of the disciple. Okay. So uh, they get into a boat, they being Jesus and his disciples. Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake. I've got business over there. 
he gets in a boat with his disciples to go across the lake to the other side. And suddenly there's a violent storm, a furious storm rises up in the lake. If you don't know the story, most of his followers are fishermen. So this is where they work. This is, this is their place. This is their boat. They're in the lake. The, the, the waves are sweeping over the boat, but Jesus is sleeping. <laughs> the disciples went and woke him up. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? It's sort of as if to say, I said we were going over. So we're going over. <laughs> you guys, if Jesus says we're going over, you're going over. This is the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. Oh, you of little faith, do you not know who I am, basically? So he gets up, and he rebukes the winds and the waves, and suddenly they stop, and the whole sea's calm. And the men freak out. They go, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So they get to the other side. And when they arrive at the other side, in the region of the gatherings, two demon-possessed men come from the tombs to meet him. They were so violent that no one could even pass by them. And they cry out to Jesus, what do you want with us, son of God? Now, Luke, in his version of the story, says that Jesus had been telling the demons to come out of them. And the demons are now arguing with Jesus. What do you want? Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Just, just remember what I've taught you before, and I'll teach you again. Jesus brings the presence of the future into the now. These demons know a time is appointed for the demons of hell to be thrown in the abyss. And here is Jesus before the end day, starting to do the work of the end day. And they go, are you here before the appointed time to throw us in? And he's like, you better believe it. Come out. And so they say, could you, could you not send us to the abyss yet? Could you throw us into those pigs? And he goes, fine. <laughs> go. So they came out and went into the pigs, because there's a whole herd of pigs in this area. And, and these demons go and go into the pigs. The herd rushes down into the steep bank, and they die in the water. This, can you imagine you're there? Are you freaking out yet? This is crazy. So then they come back to his hometown. They get, get on the boat. They come back. And while they're there, some men bring a, a guy that's paralyzed on a mat. They carry him into the house where he's speaking. And um, Jesus sees their faith. He's friends with this guy. And he, and he looks at the, the paralyzed man. And he says, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. And there's, there's teachers of the law, religious leaders around. And they think to themselves, Ah, now we see what's going on. This is blasphemy. No one can forgive sins but God alone. What they don't know is Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit and like you sometimes has prophetic gifts. Jesus has it a lot more than you, but like you sometimes do. And he knows what they're thinking because the Spirit reveals it to him. And he goes, why are you thinking in your hearts that it's, uh, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I, I say, so that you may know that the Son of Man, me, has authority on earth to forgive sins, he looks at the paralytic and says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man stands up. Are you seeing this? This is so amazing. You're there. What are you feeling? Are you thinking this? Jesus is the coolest guy I've ever been around. I want to do this the rest of my life. This is so fun. I don't have to do anything. Just watch Jesus work. <laughs> well, just that then he um, is heading in another direction, and a woman who's been, she's basically had a nonstop period for 12 years. Just pause and think about that. She's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She's been to doctors 
and they haven't helped her. Some of you know that story. She spent all her money. It's been crazy. No help. She can't get better. And she thinks, if I just would touch him, I'll be healed. If I only touch his cloak, I'll be healed. She does it. Jesus turned and saw her. He said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. Well, then he gets to the house of a ruler who said, my daughter is sick and dying. That's the next section. See, are you watching? This is bam, 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 bam. This is like a day in the life of Jesus. So he gets there, and there's flute players and a noisy crowd. In other words, there are the people that are professional mourners, and they're setting up the mourning, the wake for this girl in her culture. Jesus says, get away. This girl isn't dead, but she's just asleep. And they laugh at him. They know what death looks like. Are you kidding me? They've been around death. She's up in her room dead. Jesus kicks him out, goes up and takes the girl by the hand and raises her from the dead. But that's not enough because he leaves from there and two blind men see him. They don't see him, right? Two blind men hear him. He's going by. <laughs> and they start crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us! And when you read another one of the accounts, the disciples are like trying to shush him because, you know, you're disturbing Jesus. And he's like, no, bring him here. Son of David, have mercy on us. And he goes and dowers with these two guys, and he says, do you believe I can do this? And they go, yes, Lord. And he touches their eyes, and he says, according to your faith, it will be done to you. And these two guys that are blind can now see. Is this not the coolest thing? And then, while they're leaving there, a man who was possessed by demons, and he couldn't speak, was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man spoke. Rao was amazed. They said nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. So remember, this is a planned teaching from Matthew. I'm going to run through it again. Healing of man with leprosy. Paralyzed man healed. Fever driven out by, um, with a sickness. And then bunches of people healed and demons driven away. Um, possibly fatal storm completely put away. By the way, the, the sense is that that storm was demonically inspired. Um, I'll just say that and let you believe me or not. I'll, I'll develop that maybe later as the time. Drives the demons out of man, forgives sins, heals the paralyzed man, heals the woman with the 12 years of hemorrhaging, raises a girl from the dead, you know, gives sight back to two blind guys, heals a man who couldn't speak. That's what's just happened fast-paced. Now, Jesus, or Matthew, the discipler, gives us a summary statement. While they were, um, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, Matthew 9:35 teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Paul summarized this, when he was preaching, in Acts chapter 10, he said it just in one sentence. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So there you have a story, bam, 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 and then a summary. Town after town after town, healing all who were sick and diseased. We see the works of Jesus, and these people following him. Paul was thriving there. Now, what you need to know is that this kind of activity though it waned for hundreds of years, in the last 50 years, is exploding around the globe. Exploding. 
There's a professor at Penn State named Philip Jenkins. He's a professor of history. He, um, he said that in the last century, it wasn't communism that has you know, taken over like a third of the world. It wasn't radical feminism. It wasn't any of the political things that have really marked the history and changed the planet. The biggest thing, this professor of history at Penn State said that we are living in one of the most transforming movements in the history of religion worldwide. It is the growth of Christianity that's changing the world right now. According to Jenkins, the most transformative changes in the world are the product of Christianity. He points to the explosion of the Christian church at unprecedented rates in the third world, the majority world. He observes that in the third world, like Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Eastern Europe, Latin America, Middle East, one of the primary causes of the explosive growth of the church and their communities is the critical, are you listening? The critical idea that God intervenes directly in everyday life, an intervention that is the expression of the power of God's kingdom. This intervention in everyday life includes healings, exorcisms, and other miracles. Professor of history. This is happening in our world today. I'm going to suggest to you <laughs> that this is for you. We'll go a little farther in a second. Let me give you a breath and watch a two-minute video. This is a commercial break. <laughs> There's a group called the Jesus Film. David and Heidi mentioned them. They take a movie of the life of Jesus, translated into hundreds of languages, out all over the world. And their stories are that where they're going, miracles are happening. Can you show this story of... Um, Navin's story, just two minutes, watch this. Hi, my name is Autumn, and today I want to share a story with you about Navin and a life-changing experience he had when he encountered Jesus. So Navin has this incredible experience with God after watching the Jesus film. Um, he was born unable to speak, and this was a registered, documented disability. And throughout his entire life, the only way he could communicate was through writing, never out loud. And when he was a young boy, his father encouraged him to place his faith in Christ, which he did. And when he was around 12 or 13, he had the opportunity to see the Jesus film. And as he's watching the Jesus film, surrounded by friends and his pastor, they start to tell him, the Lord's gonna give you deliverance. He's gonna heal you and he believed them, and he started speaking. Over the course of the next week, he regained full use of his voice. And in the years since his healing, he continues to tell people what the Lord has done for him. He passes out gospel tracts. He's even shown other people the Jesus film. Here are a few words from Navin, words that he spoke himself. I try to speak whatever God gives me. Sometimes I don't know what words to say, so I pray, and the Lord gives me words in my mouth to speak. When Navin trusted Jesus to heal him, the power of God literally gave him a voice. And now he tells everyone he can about the one who calls him by name. Thank you for listening to these stories. These stories matter because it shows that Christ not only changes our lives through physical healing, but he can change our lives through spiritual healing. So that's a story we just read in the Bible. 
That's the story of the same thing happening now. It's a person like you and me praying for a person, and they use the word deliverance, by the way, who was born without the ability to speak, like the story we read in the Bible. So in chapter 9 of Matthew, after telling the story, bang, 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 and then giving the summary, Jesus goes through all the towns and villages, healing all who are sick, casting out demons, looks at the people with compassion. They're harassed like sheep without a shepherd. He stops, next sentence, looks at his disciples and says, would you pray that God would send up more workers in the harvest to do what we just saw? Workers to do what? Everything that we just read. This is a discipleship manual written by Matthew with some intelligence. It goes in order. Read the story. Jesus says, we need more of this. And they're like, oh, well, we haven't thought of that. You're doing a fine job, Jesus. We need more. Would you pray for more? They're like, okay, let's pray for more. Next sentence. Then he said, um, next sentence, he called his 12 disciples to him. <laughs> they're praying. And he says, hey, come here, guys. This is the setup. He gives them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease. And then he sends them out. And he says, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely receive, freely give. Are you in the story? Are you the person that Jesus said, come here? Now you do this. I am in that story, and I go like this. That's cute. I can't heal the sick. I got nothing in my hands. I got no magic. I got, what? He tells them, you go and do it. They're like me. They're like you. They can't do it. But they go and obey him. And guess what happens? He empowers them, and the same stuff starts happening. But check this out. In your American mentality, you are so used to thinking on, off, everything or nothing. It's not like he said, you have authority and power, and now they could do at will whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, heal anyone they wanted, clean out the hospital if they wanted to. No, it was a battle. And there were times when they utterly failed. Matthew 17, way later in the story, after a long time of experience doing these things that Jesus gave them the ability to do, they run into a boy who's having seizures. It's called by an evil spirit. They pray. They do everything they know how to do, and they fail utterly, and the kid does not get healed because there's war going on. We'll develop this thought more later, too, but you need to understand Jesus came with his kingdom, but not in its entirety. It's not done. We are fighting a battle. We wrestle in prayer. So often the thing that we pray for doesn't happen. But you listen to this. If you start praying for people that are sick, you pray for a couple hundred, I bet you you can have a story or two of someone getting healed. That's what they experienced. Pressing. Jesus himself, Jesus, son of God, had moments where it wasn't just like this. There is a battle. Jesus will come back someday and all of it will be done. The kingdom will be consummated, but until that day, we are in battle against the kingdom of darkness, and there is a fight, and sometimes we even lose battles, but we get up, and we fight, and we go to war, and we pray, and we heal the sick, and we cast out demons, and we encourage the poor, we feed the hungry, we clothe the naked, and the kingdom of God comes in battle against the kingdom of darkness, and land is taken back, so to speak. The realm of darkness is destroyed as the 
as people come under the authority of King Jesus and lives and marriages and families are restored and you are the army that is called to make it happen. And that's what we're going to be spending the next weeks talking about. But you've got to follow this. <laughs> I'm close to, to wrapping this up, but I've got to give you this one more thing. You're thinking, well, Jesus, Son of God, 12 apostles. Well, in Luke chapter 10, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Now we're at 84. 84 people at least going to do this stuff. He appoints 72 other disciples. He sends them out two by two ahead of him to every town he's going to go. And you know what he tells them? See if these words sound familiar. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Now when the 72 come back from their journey, they must have gone to 36 different towns, they rejoiced and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. I have given you a... Ooh, listen to these words. Now, these are the nameless 72 disciples that are just like you. I have given you authority. Power and authority. Power is the ability to do something. Authority is the right to use that ability. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do something. God gives us the authority, the right to use that power. I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Don't rejoice, though, that spirits submit to you. Rejoice that you have a relationship with me, that your names are written in heaven. And then, listen to this, listen to these words. Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. These are not the sophisticated disciples. These are the disciples that are like little children, not sophisticated. I'm... I want you to know, I want to build up faith as we tell stories and read the scriptures, that I have seen every kind of follower of Jesus, children to old people, rich to poor, educated to illiterate, doesn't matter, followers of Jesus, obeying the words of Jesus where he said, you go and you do these works, and I've seen it happen. And it's my desire, folks, on my own to equip a congregation to be an army of healers. And understand, the biblical term for healing is not what we think of. It's not just healing broken arms and cancer. It's a word that encompasses the whole of salvation. The same word, sozo, is sometimes translated healing, sometimes translated salvation, sometimes translated deliverance. Our job is to bring the full salvation of the kingdom of God to people that have been oppressed by Satan and the serpent and destroy his works and set people into freedom. That includes restoring marriages. That includes healing diseases. That includes driving out demons. That includes helping get people set free from addiction. That includes giving hope to the hopeless, on and on. You're the army of God. We're called to equip you to do the work of ministry. And I'm so out of time that I'm going to say the end right now. <laughs> so why don't we have Amy and the, uh, the band come up. You just got a load of words and verses in your brain. You might be going, ah, give me a break. Why don't you stand up and get quiet for a second.
Let me bless you with this prayer. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and rest on these, your people, these that are watching online, and impart to their innermost being what you want them to hear. Come, Holy Spirit, even in this place. Give power and authority like Jesus had, like the 12 had, like the 72 had. Give power and authority to us to obey you and go proclaiming the kingdom of God with signs and wonders accompanying the word. person after person. Amen. Now, I think there's some people here that are able to pray. You've had some prayer training. If, if, if at least a few of you, could you come to the front sides here? And if you're in the building here in, and you have needs of the kind of healing we've been talking about, you have sickness or disease, everything from the simplicity of headaches to terminal illness, deafness, blindness, I don't care. Let's call on God and see what he will do. Let's step out and do what we can't do and ask him to bring healing and wholeness. If you're here and you are bugged by dark presence, if you are, you know what I'm talking about. Darkness that seems to have a personality that visits you even speaks thoughts to your mind that harass, that down you. He's given us authority to get rid of those. Come and we'll pray for you and we'll get rid of those dark thoughts and experiences. Let's do it. Let's be the army of God. Let's go as saints equipped for the works of ministry. What are the works of ministry? We just read them. Those are some of them. That's part of your spiritual DNA. Being equipped with authority and power to do the very works that Jesus did and the first generation of disciples did. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.